0: Welcome to the Seattle Writes Podcast, produced by the Seattle Public Library, with support from the Seattle Public Library Foundation and Amazon Literary Partnership. Seattle Writes supports local writers through programs, workshops, and write-ins, and by providing space to work throughout the city. To see upcoming classes and additional information about Seattle Writes, visit our website at spl.org slash seattlewrites. Welcome to the Seattle Writes podcast produced by the Seattle Public Library with support from the Seattle Public Library Foundation and Amazon Literary Partnership. Seattle Writes supports local writers through programs, workshops, and write-ins and by providing space to work throughout the city. To see upcoming classes and additional information about Seattle Writes visit our website at spl.org slash I'm Andrea Goff, a librarian and co-coordinator of Seattle Writes. I'm here today with Peg Cheng, who writes novels for kids and adults. She's the author of the middle-grade novel, The Contenders. Peg has hosted writers' wellness retreats, and as part of Seattle Writes, has taught several sessions of Fear and Writing, a workshop that helps writers accept fear as a natural part of the creative process and understand how fear can be used to propel their writing. We're pleased to welcome Peg today to talk more about fear and writing.
1: Hi, Peg. Hi, Andrea. It's great to be
0: here today. Thanks for coming. For sure. So my first question for you is, why did you want to teach a workshop on fear and writing?
1: Well, when uh, when Linda Johns first contacted me last year and said, hey, uh, do you want to teach a, a class for the Seattle Rights Program? First, I was absolutely thrilled. And then the second thought that came into mind was, I should just teach on fear and writing, and uh, it's because it's something that I've struggled with um, during the last couple of years. Uh, I know what how it feels to have all the time in the world to write, and then and then I don't do it because because I'm afraid. And um, it was a really strange thing for me because I had written part time for about twelve years when I worked full time at the UW, and then later when I was running my own consulting business, and. Um, but then two years ago when I closed my business and I decided I was gonna follow my dream to write full time, I tried writing and I just couldn't do it. I would actually sit down and try to write and I would just I would just think of so many other things I needed to be doing like cleaning the bathroom, wash the dishes, maybe do an extra load of laundry, uh, clean out that bookshelf, reorganize it. There was always something more urgent and it wasn't that I would sit there in my chair and, and actually uh, feel, feel like fear coursing through my veins. It wasn't like that. It was just this overwhelming desire that I had to do something else. Just had to do something else, and I had to do it now. <laughs> that's how my fear showed up. And I, over time, I realized that for a lot of writers, that's how their fear shows up too. Um, so again, when I was asked to teach a workshop, just the first thing that came to mind was how do you overcome uh, the fear that always comes in when you're trying to sit down and write and uh, that's why I wanted to teach that workshop
0: yeah that's excellent uh, what do you think causes people to fear writing
1: so uh, there's a lot of reasons I think that people fear writing and um, a lot of the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over them the ones that I know of and a lot of these relate to me and then some of them don't But um, one of my fears is that the writing's just going to be bad. (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of people have that. I definitely have that. Um, The other fear is that I'll let other people down. Um, And that's more related to not writing good enough so that it is um, of the quality to be published, whether self-published or published through a traditional publisher, that somehow... If I can't achieve that, then all these other people who know that I'm writing, who are cheering me on, are going to be let down. Um, I also have fear that I'm going to let other people, uh, let myself down in addition to other people. (laughs) So if I wasn't able to achieve that, I would feel bad too. Um, I also have fear about the dark emotions that my characters feel. Yeah, like... You know, on on most days, I don't really want to go through anger, anxiety, sadness, depression. Uh, my characters go through that, and I'm like, you know, I don't really want to go through that today. <laughs> uh, and what's related to that is that, um, as with most good stories, your characters are going to get hurt. You know, I can't remember, was it Nabokov who said, um, your job as a writer is to get your character up a tree and throw stones at it? throw stones at him or her and um, that's what good writers do and so I also have fear of hurting my characters and because really even though I'm not my characters because I'm writing them it, it is me so I, I when I know a, a really crucial hard scene is coming up I actually fear writing that because I don't want to go through it I don't want to feel how it feels to um to be hurt so, yeah, that, that brings up a lot of fear. Um, and then, so some people have fear from a creative wound. And, um, like, at some point in their lives, either a friend or a family member or a teacher saw something that they created, and they, they criticized it or put it down or said, oh, who do you think you are that you think you can draw? Something. Like, they have a creative wound, and... Um, I feel very lucky that I'm actually one of those people that doesn't have a creative wound. But when I first heard about that, I realized, oh, my gosh, there's actually quite a few people out there that have that. Um, The other thing I don't have, which I recently um, was alerted to about this, is that if you're dyslexic, you tend to fear the actual act of writing. And I've worked with dyslexic students before, and I realized that a lot of my writing exercises don't work for them because – they fear the actual act of writing. Um, one of my friends, who's actually a really fantastic writer, uh, he has to see the whole story, almost the, almost the whole story in his head before he writes it down. And so it takes him a really long time to, to to see that vision, but then he can write it down. And it's not that it's perfect or that it's super easy to write it all down, but he, he can't, as a dyslexic, for his type of dyslexia, he can't actually... Uh, discover as he writes it has to all be discovered um, mostly discovered ahead of time and so he 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 actually doesn't like the actual act of writing that part is that the hard part for him so there's just many different reasons why people fear writing and um, I think it's very personal to each writer yeah but I can relate to the majority of them
0: people always want to know how a writer writes. Can you describe your writing
1: routine? Sure, so I, I, I try to link um, my habits as they lead up to writing. So I wake up in the morning, I have breakfast. Then I read for pleasure, usually for about 20 minutes to 30 minutes, sometimes longer, then I meditate for about 10 minutes, then I take a shower, <laughs> and then I write. And all these things are linked. So sometimes I'll do them out of order and it'll feel weird. I'll be like, wait a minute, that didn't feel right. And sometimes it'll actually keep me from writing because I didn't link it, it didn't link um, as it normally does. Uh, But generally, if I follow that routine of wake up, breakfast, read for pleasure, meditate for 10 minutes, shower, and then I sit down and write before I do anything else, then it usually goes okay. (laughs) And it took me a long time to realize that um, that routine works for me. Um, And actually, I'll go into more into that a little bit more in depth later. But I just wanted to say, too, that even even when I'm not writing, and I think this is true for a lot of writers, even when I'm not writing, when I'm actually doing chores or I'm gardening or I've gone to the grocery store to get some uh, get some food, I'm actually still writing. It's still uh, the stories, the problems, they're still working their way through my head. And so I find that when I'm doing something very rote, very, um, just very normal and like something I do all the time, that that's when the solutions to a lot of my writing problems will come through. Because you know how a lot, a lot of times people say, oh, I get the best ideas in the shower. I'm, I'm like that. I will be showering, folding laundry, something like that. And as long as I'm not using that thing to avoid writing, um, the solutions will come through, yeah. That's neat. Do you
0: write every day?
1: No, but I try to write five to six days a week.
0: So how do you not get distracted
1: while writing? Uh, so I do get distracted a lot, but um, I've gotten into the habit of using the, the Pomodoro method. Have you heard of that method?
0: I think I've heard of it, but I can't
1: remember the details. I can't remember who exactly invented it. If it was some guy named Pomodoro or if it's named that because people use a tomato timer, a timer shaped like a tomato to do this, whatever. It's, it's, um, basically what it is is you get a timer and you set it for 25 minutes and you write for 25 minutes. And when the timer goes off, you take a five-minute break. And it's a great way to sort of um, break up your day so that you don't feel like, oh, man, I have to sit down and write for three hours. Like, how am I going to get through this? Ooh, avoidance. Now I'm going to go do something else. You just say, okay, can I do this for 25 minutes? Yeah, I can do it for 25 minutes. And then give yourself a a nice five-minute break. Now, sometimes I don't stick with that. Like, I will take like a 20-minute break or longer. (laughs) Depending on what I got done, if I got something done really diff- that was really difficult, I'll give myself a longer break. I'm like, that was, a, that was fantastic, Peg. <laughs> like, you deserve a longer break. Um, but generally, I find that 25-minute blocks uh, using the Pomodoro method is, is a great way to not get so distracted. Yeah.
0: That's excellent. I, I might need to try that during my work day. <laughs> <laughs> so when you write five or six days a week... How do you keep yourself accountable to writing every day or that
1: often? So that's a good question. This is, this is what I was alluding to when I said I want to get more in depth about um, how I write. So it took me almost a year and a half to figure out uh, a really simple way to stay accountable. And it was actually something that my therapist and I came up with. And what I do is I, I keep a paper calendar, but you can do this with a, with a you know, electronic calendar too. Is, so when I sit down to write, I actually write down the time of day. So let's say it's 10, 15 a.m. Then I start doing my writing. When I stop writing, I write down when I stopped. So let's say 11, 15 a.m. Then I write down next to that, like, how many minutes. In this case, it would be 60 minutes. At the end of the week, on Saturday, I actually would write an email to my therapist with all those times on it. So it would be, like, Monday, 10, 15 to 11, 15 Sixty minutes Tuesday, you know, on and on for the whole week, and I'd send that off to her, and she would sometimes write, "Good job." I, I remember this now. I realized she didn't always write back. Sometimes she would say, "Hey, good job," and other times she wouldn't write back. <laughs> but it was more—it uh, was more the act of actually doing it, of actually writing down the times, and then doing a summary at the end of the week. It—it helps me realize that. Um, even if I only wrote a little bit, even if I only sat down to write for just 20 minutes or 15 minutes, by the end of the week, I, I had completed um, a decent amount of writing. Um, and it didn't matter if it was just that I had written two chapters or 10 or 20 chapters. Like There was something about seeing the time that I spent writing and then the actual amount of writing uh, that made me feel good. That exercise made me feel really good. And so I did that for eight weeks, every week I would send that email to my therapist. And after eight weeks, I, I, um, I told her, yeah, I don't have to do this anymore. Because it, it's now a habit. Now I just do it for myself. Like I don't email anyone, I just, I just <laughs> write it out on my calendar, look at it, tabulate it, the total at the end of the week, and I go, wow, that was quite a bit you got done in that amount of time. Good job, Peg, and I, and I, feel, I feel great about it. I don't need to have anyone else hold me accountable. Now some folks, they'll just keep, they will do this forever, just they'll find a friend or a buddy that they will email once a week and I think that's a great idea and hopefully that friend is someone who will actually write back, hey, great job. (laughs) But I think, um, yeah, people have troubles keeping themselves accountable. This is actually a technique that worked for me that took me a long time to discover and um, you might want to try it, it might work for you.
0: That's neat, I like that. How do you choose, sorry, Sorry, going back for a moment. Sorry,
1: I forgot to mention that. I actually record a a video about this. Um, And so if you go to pegchain.com and click on blog at the top and then look for categories on the right, pick videos, then click vlog, that's a video blog. Vlog number one, how to feel the fear and write every day. I actually explain in detail and with visuals about that exercise I just told you about.
0: Excellent. Thank you.
1: Sure.
0: So when you sit down, how do you choose what to write?
1: So for me, I have to, I have to be very extreme. Like I have to choose what I'd like to see published if I were to die tomorrow. <laughs> that's, <laughs> <great>. <laughs> that's, that's how I choose what to work on. Um, whatever is most urgent. And actually just, I actually have a vlog on this too. So, so if you go to my website, pegjeng.com, you pick vlog number two, how do you choose what to write next? It's, it's something one, one of the students asked. And so I thought, oh, that's a good question. Um, but yeah, for me, it, it has to be something that I feel absolutely compelled to write. It can't be something that, well, I think this could be very commercial. It could sell. Or, you know, um, this is something I've been working on for a long time. It could be. But it, it actually has to be something that I feel like, okay, if tomorrow I were to be pushing daisies, sleeping with the fishes, what would I want to be out in the world? And that is the thing that I have to work on.
0: I like that. It's kind of a way of visualizing what is most urgent Yeah. in some ways.
1: Yeah. Nice. It's a little morbid, but it works for me.
0: <laughs> nice. So how do you not get intimidated by all the other great writing out there?
1: It's a good question. I remember when a student asked me this and I thought, oh, that's so interesting. Because I just thought that's just that's just normal, isn't it? Isn't that just normal that you read fantastic writing? If you're a reader, you'd be surprised at how many people say they want to write, but they don't read. And I'm like, what? That's like saying you want to be a doctor, but you don't want to touch human bodies. I'm like, wait a minute. That doesn't work. Um but yeah, I mean, I read all the time. I read more than I write, and I'm always amazed by the great writing out there. Uh, and I'm always like, "Wow, that's fantastic! I can't, I can't write like that, or I wish I could write like that, or that's great that that person writes like that, but I'm never going to write like that." <laughs> uh, but most of the time, when I read something really great, I think, "Oh, bravo! Good game! <laughs> like you just, you just, you just upped the level that I need to reach for." And I feel, I feel. Um, Motivated by that, not to imitate anyone, but to, ju- to just realize that someone created a piece of work that is so fantastic that it makes me go, I need to create something as great as that for myself. Um, yeah, so I just think it's normal actually to feel intimidated as long as you don't let it stop you from writing. Um, another thing that I recommend to people, and I only got this tip recently in 2016 when Prince died. So I'm a big fan of Prince. And when he died tragically, it was really, it was really sad. Uh, but this one article that I read, it, it made me feel good, but it also made me feel good thinking about Prince. But it also made me realize, oh, wait a minute. This is something that could be good for writers. And so the article is called, Isn't This Funnier? New Girl Creator Liz Merriweather Recalls the Making of the Prince Episode. Um, you can Google it, or it's actually on vulture.com. But basically, it's an article that Liz Merriweather, who is the creator of the TV show New Girl, she wrote after Prince died. And it was about um, the time when Prince said he wanted to be on New Girl because he's a fan. And she freaked out and had, because she's a huge fan of Prince, and so her and her staff had to write um, an episode with him in it. And then she describes how that went, and she also describes how the shooting went, and uh, it is uh, just a beautiful, hilarious article um, and tribute to Prince. And so I recommend that even if you're not a Prince fan, you should read it. It's actually really well written. But um, what it made me realize is that even someone who is a genius, uh, and Prince was a musical genius, can like a regular old sitcom like New Girl. (laughs) No, no offense. I mean, I mean, you know, New Girl is, you know, it's amusing, but it's, to me, it's like a regular old sitcom. And so you never know who out there could be a total genius, thinks your writing is great and just loves it and is a fan. So you just have to do your best writing. And um, not think that, oh, you know no one's going to like this or other people are going to think other people's writing is better. No, you could write something that you like that makes you laugh and turns out some genius out there, like Prince, also loves it.
0: That's excellent. I like keeping that in mind that even with all these other great writers out there, someone's going to love your work, too. That's right. Yeah, and it yeah. might be Prince. Well, not anymore Prince, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> it might be someone like Prince. It might be someone like Prince, yeah. which would could be just as good.
0: It should be amazing.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, kind of an addendum to that question. So you write books for both children and adults. So, for example, when you were writing The Contenders for a middle grade audience, did you read other middle grade books or did you read things that were different from what you were writing? How do you, I guess, do you abstain from reading certain things when you're writing in that area?
1: Oh, that's a really great question. And I know there's a lot of writers who won't read in their genre when they're writing that genre. So they won't read middle grade while they're writing middle grade. And at first I used to think that that was really good advice, but now I'm like, no, I totally, (laughs) I will totally read what's in my genre as I write that genre. and it's mainly just that I feel like um, I need to read whatever feels appropriate and motivating at that time. So it could be middle grade novels. I've read many, many middle grade novels throughout my life. And so I have some favorites that I like to read. But when I think back at the time when I was reading, or writing, sorry, writing The Contenders, I actually wasn't reading any particular middle grades at that time, but I had many many of them in my head, but I, I was reading a lot of, um, uh, classic adult stuff, so I'm a fan of, of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck, which, if I could write a book as good as that, boy, (laughs) wow, I, I mean, yeah, and I, it wasn't that I was trying to make the contenders like that, but I was reading it to remind myself of what really good writing is, and, um, yeah, Of Mice and Men is very different from The Contenders, but just reading something really good made me feel more motivated to do my writing. So, so yeah, I do both. I'll read stuff that is totally within the genre and then stuff that's totally not in the genre. Yeah.
0: Nice. That's great. Um, so speaking of reading, uh, do you have any books on writing that you would recommend?
1: Yeah, I have um, I have many books that I'd recommend, but I I'm gonna mention the three that I talk about in my fear and writing workshop, uh, and they are Big Magic: Creative Living Beyond Fear by Elizabeth Gilbert. That's it's a really great book. I love it because it's so full of all these little stories um, that Liz went through or that her friends went through in terms of living a creative life, and there's just many um, many many great insights and just lots of fun and hilarious and touching stories in there i I really recommend that one and then the other one is um ink spots collected writings on story structure filmmaking and craftsmanship by brian mcdonald and again similar to big magic it's full of um very short chapters really really great stories and tips on writing and story structure and getting better at your craft uh, I really love that book. And then the last one is Art and Fear, which is a sh- fairly short book um, by David Bales and Ted Orland. That's Bales, B-A-Y-L-E-S, and Orland, O-R-L-A-N-D. And Art and Fear, Observations on the Perils and Rewards of Art Making, is um, it's a, it's a bit more academic, it's, it's, um, but it's short, and it's a fast read, but it's a deep read, and it's one of those books I recommend that you read more than once, because it's, um, it's got some really great tips and concepts in there. And then there's one more that I don't talk about in the workshop, but that I recommend to pretty much anyone who asks about um, getting better at writing, which is a book that I read recently called Better Than Before, where I learned about making and breaking habits by Gretchen Rubin. Uh, it taught me a lot about habits, and it taught me a lot about how we're all different in how we make or break our habits but she gives some very interesting tips on how to figure out what kind of person you are and what kind of quirks or preferences you have and that how when you realize that about yourself, you can actually create better habits for yourself. So it was really enlightening for me, and so I I recommend that to everyone, too.
0: Those sound great. Uh, And the good news is that the Seattle Public Library does own all four of those titles, so if you're a listener with a library card, come on down. Uh, Finally, Peg. Do you have any last words you want to leave with our listeners?
1: Yes, actually, Andrea. As a matter of fact, I do. (laughs) Which is, um, I really love this quote from James Baldwin, which is, if you're going to be a writer, there's nothing I can say to stop you. If you're not going to be a writer, nothing I can say will help you. What you really need at the beginning is somebody to let you know that the effort is real. And that's what I try to do in my fear and writing workshop is to let people know that the effort is real, that it's totally possible to have fear and still do your writing and that it's completely worth it. So I hope if you're listening right now, I hope to see you at one of my workshops someday, and I hope that you will feel the fear and keep on writing.
0: That's great. Thank you so much, Peg.
1: Thanks, Andrea. It was a real pleasure. This podcast was presented by the Seattle Public Library and Foundation and made possible by your contributions to the Seattle Public Library Foundation. Thanks for listening.